There you go. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. It couldn't be any easier than that. Just give us a call, and we'll get on the air. There you go. <laughs> Chat you up and try to give some advice as to how to proceed for it. Sure. You know, last week we had a call from a gentleman, and he had a vibration right, in his pickup, right. and he was concerned that he might have had some frame damage, and then subsequently he emailed, and I want to just kind of touch on this a little bit this morning. Okay. He was, I was a little nervous when I called, so I'm not sure I gave you all the information, and he went into how he had backed into a concrete thing, and he noticed now that the cracks in the bed were not exactly the same and such as that, and like I told him, I said, well, that may indicate some slight frame damage. However, it's not going to be the cause of the vibration. At speed. Yeah, at, at a certain it, speed. Right. Because the way frame damage works, it's a frame is a solid mass. It's, it's not it's, rotating. Right. Kind of think of it like a ladder. Right. It has two rails with cross rails in between it. Mm-hmm. And if, say, in this certain situation, he backed into the corner, backed into the post on one side. Right. Which took the ladder, and it, instead of having the rails equal, now they're they're shifted. So, which would throw the bed liner off. And we call that a diamond. Correct. Because if you cross-measured the center section, when it was all square, it would have been a square. Well, now it's actually representing a diamond because one rail has moved forward relative to the other rail. Correct. Now, that affects a number of things. It does. But as far as the vibration at a certain speed, right. that is not going to be the issue. Well, it's sort of like a wheel alignment or anything else. If it's bent, it's either bent or it's not bent, so it's fixed. So whatever it it does will always be there and will always be the same. Mm-hmm. Now, frame damage could cause a vibration, but it would be a vibration at idle because it could move something where maybe something would touch something. You would feel it at an idle, and you might feel it all the way through the range, but it's not going to come and go with speed. Correct. Because there's nothing in a frame that's going to cause it to come and go with speed. So like I advised him, that's relatively easy to check and re- fairly easy to fix if it's mm-hmm. not severe. But I'm not saying you don't have any type of frame damage to the vehicle. You could very well have, but that's not going to be the source of your vibration. Correct. And same thing with alignment in that frame damage in and of itself does not cause tire wear. However, frame damage can disturb the alignment or even make the alignment not able to be set, and that will cause tire wear. We see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Vehicles been involved in an accident and was repaired. But let's say now it's wearing tires or it's pulling one way or the other or the steering wheel's not straight when we get it mm-hmm. after it's been repaired. The outside of the vehicle looks perfect. And what we've noticed is that the inner structure, say it's a unibody, mm-hmm. it got hit in the right front wheel and the shock tower, the strut tower is now laid in. Everything looks good, but the camera won't set because the strut tower is not in the correct place anymore, which is the anchor for the top of the alignment. Right. That's going to set the camber. Or let's say one of the control arm mounts was disturbed. It was bent forward, bent back, back, uh, twisted, out of level. Any one of those is going to manifest as a problem with the suspension, but only so far as it affects the alignment. Now, there's not adjustments on most modern cars for a lot of things. They're built precisely, so they did not see a need to put an adjustment in there. Correct. Nothing is going to change unless something's bent. And if something is bent, then they want you to correct the problem and not instead of adjust over, for it. Instead so, of covering it up with an adjustment. That's correct. And 
unfortunately, a lot of wheel alignment shops, if an angle is not adjustable, they feel that like kinda, they don't need to even check it. Right. There was nothing I can do about it anyway, so all I'm going to do is, check it. Yeah, yes. why check? Why waste time? And that's probably not the kind of guy you want to go to, but unfortunately, people being what people are, they tend to be a little bit on the lazy side sometimes. They may not even be checking these things. Right. And if they do check it, they may not understand what it means. What it means. <laughs> yeah. Because they were trained to set this, set this. The light turns green. It's in alignment. Uh-huh. And they're just a whole different feel. When you start getting into chassis and alignment work, there are things you check beyond what a normal wheel alignment guy would check. And in my experience, what I have found is knowing framework mm-hmm. helps with alignment. Yes. Because they work hand-in-hand hand with each other. If you get the frame correct, the alignment's going to be correct. It just it makes for a more understanding of what's going on with the vehicle. Well, no, with un- that knowledge, understanding the philosophy of anything makes it a whole lot better. I remember when I used to do photography. I used to be a photographer at one time. Learning how to print your own pictures. When you go into a dark room and learn how to print it, it'll make you a much better photographer because you realize what can be printed, what can't be printed, what the effects of contrast are, and all uh-huh. that. So instead of shooting like a machine gun, all of a sudden you're taking way less pictures but more of them are good <laughs> the quality's better right because you understand the principle of it and what can be done what can't be done same thing with framework if you understand how a frame works how it relates to the alignment and all that it's going to make you necessarily a much better alignment man sure because there are angles like the steering axis inclination now average alignment man is not ever going to check that or the included angle mm-hmm or what they call the hotchkiss angle which is where the two steering arms come back a certain angle and that causes the wheels to turn faster as they turn further. Because which gives when, you a total turn. Exactly. You know, you're going around a circle and the inside wheel has to turn further than the outside wheel because they're going around two various two different radius. Mm-hmm. The the circle that the inside wheel rotates in is tighter than the one the outside wheel. And most cars are designed in such a way that when the inside wheel turns twenty degrees, the outside wheel will only turn eighteen. Correct. So they're going to track more evenly around a circle. Now, if you get some damage to, say, one of these steering arms, well, when you turn the wheel, what's going to happen, they may both turn 20 degrees, or one may turn 18 and one turn 24, whatever. They're not going to turn the specified correct amount. So now, even though caster, camera, and toe are perfectly set. It's still wearing tires. Yeah, you're going around a corner. Now they're dragging one tire, so you start to pick up weird tire wear. Yep. And a lot of alignment shops, unless they're well-trained and know how to check these things, are not ever going to pick up on that. No, they're, they're not. They're just they're, – there's a lot of uh, knowledge there that you need to understand to be able to diagnose that type of problem. Mm-hmm. If the arm is bent too bad, you won't be able to set the toe because it will just be too far off. It well, won't come into line. And sometimes you can set the toe. Yeah. But if there's a, generally a, a lot train, of toe adjustment. A train tech will look at it and say, wait a minute, there's only an inch of threads left on this side, and there's three inches of threads on this side. Yeah, of the adjustment rod. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We need to stop and check. They should be close to the same amount it, of threads left yeah. on the adjustment. And with the steering wheel centered, the pitman arm, if you have one, should be straight. The rack and pinion should turn the same amount of turns both ways. Yep. All these things are angles that are going to be diagnostic-type angles. They're going to tell you something is wrong. And you've got to figure out from there, much like a check engine light, it just tells you something is wrong. Right. The it's te- not going to tell you what it is. You've got to do further detective work to, to determine what the cause of this problem. Like we talk about every week, you may have a lean code, and it says system lean. All that means is we have more air than, than fuel relative to what it's supposed to have, or at least the computer thinks you do. Right. 
but any one of several dozen things could cause that same code. I mean, it could be a vacuum leak. It could be a bad sensor that's reading it. It could be the PCM calculating wrong. Mass airflow meter may be dirty. On and on and on and on. Same exact thing with framework. We know that we've got more threads on one side of the tie rod than on the other side. So now we've got to stop and figure out why. Now, Something is bent. Is that going to be the steering arm bent? Possibly. Is it the stud in the tie rod bent? Possibly. Is it the rack and pinion not centered in the vehicle anymore? Certainly could be. Very possible. Uh, is it out of level? Well, and because remember, level. we used to run across this a lot on the old Chevy pickups because they had two C-channel rails coming forward. They weren't abundantly strong, and you could hit on the wheel, and the box would twist the rail. Sure. So when it twists, it also rotates, which throws more adjustment to one, one side, side than, than the, the other. other. So yep. if you look under there and you had a half inch of adjustment on one side and an inch and a half on the other side, something you knew was something wrong. something was wrong, right. Now, consequently, what you could also do is you could get in and turn the steering wheel all the way to lock one way, rotate it slowly back to lock the other way, and count the number of turns. Then back off exactly half that amount. The steering wheel should be straight up and down. The pitman arm and idle arm should both be pointing straight ahead. And or straight back in, in this case, yeah. Back if it's towards the rear of the car. Right. But if they're not, it just something is wrong it does not tell you what is wrong right it could be the gearbox itself could be twisted internally well, which sec- would throw the sector it off gear will twist right in the by uh, we've seen the that a lot mm-hmm. we've seen that a lot like you were saying earlier the rail could be twisted around mm-hmm. anything that is going to take those two angles and change them will be the problem once you find it yeah and, and the point is you have to number one know what angles to check number two know what these angles are telling you mm-hmm. and then number three have the wherewithal and the equipment to go it. in and find out what this means. Why is this off? Right. So, you know, that's kind of the way it works. And it's not unlike all diagnosis. All diagnosis is sort of the same. Hey, we'll take our first quick little break. We'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Carey, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may put to us. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning. You can always go to the website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. When you click the button, a little form is going to pop up. And just fill it out with the correct information and hit the send button. There you go. Wouldn't get me easier than that. And 
you know, we were talking today a little bit about framework and how it relates to cars. And, of course, as always, this is just a topic we talk about between calls. And if you have sure. a different idea in mind or something that's ball, you know, other than that, you're always welcome to call in. We don't ever limit it to a topic we just happen to be discussing. Most definitely. And we, just to clarify, what we call framework today is not necessarily a frame, a separate body frame configuration, because most cars today are unit body construction. That is... The body of the car is also the frame of the car. Correct. All the all the suspension components hooked to that point instead of a separate frame that the body can be removed components from. in the body of the car. And instead of having frame rails, now you have rocker panels which run down the side of each car. It gives the body the strength that it needs. But the same exact principles still apply sure. for the most part. Anywhere the component is attached to the vehicle could be a, a suspicious point for damage. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens when you go to a collision shop and have collision damage repaired is, for the most part, they are going to concern themselves with the attachment points where the outer body panels attach to the structure the of the body. car. Because that is what people are going to see. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to make the car look properly. They're trying to restore it to a pre-accident condition. And obviously, 99% of your information is coming in through your eyes. Right. You're going to look at the car. Does the color match? Does the cracks all line up on the body? And certainly, is there any kind of wind noise or anything like that? These are the things you're going to look at. And for the most part, your collision shops, if the way that the, the unibody set up, the fender bolts to the inner apron. Mm-hmm. Well, the inner apron holds the suspension. So if the inner apron has moved, the fender's not going to fit anymore. Right. So that has to be brought back in no, for the fender to look correct. Now, unfortunately, if you grab that top lip of the fender apron during the frame repair or body repair and you pull that out you can achieve alignment of the fender but the inner structure where the strut mounts may not move correct and if you measure to the point you're correcting it may be perfect however what it requires is another measurement to the suspension component in as, as well as the body components right and that's where things can go wrong particularly if you're not used to dealing with suspension problems if you're maybe the best body restoring person in the country you are your your thought process works more around the cosmetics of it and certainly some of the equipment they've got now will allow them to measure the other points as well but again when your primary focus is towards one thing you may or may not take additional measurements as they pertain to the suspension overlook because they're just not going to affect the appearance of the vehicle right there's you've got the whole fender apron rolls in you grab the top of it where the body bolts. You pull that out. That may come out, but because the lower structure is stronger, it's not because gonna, it's ha- it may come out some, but not all the way. Right. The the correct process would be to grab the low the body structure mm-hmm. where it's built the stiff the, or the both. stiffest or both and get the whole assembly to come out together. Correct. But that requires a lot more measurement. It does to determine exactly how far does the damage go. You remember back in the day they used to always say. Once a car is wrecked, it's never the same. Uh-huh. Well, that's because people weren't measuring all of the points. Sure, They, they were, were measuring they were... the points that pertain to the work they were doing. And on the old cars, the old frame-type cars, about the biggest thing you had problem with is two front rails had to be straight enough to where the hood cracks would line up and the bumper would fit. Correct. But beyond that, almost anything in between there was really kind of sort of non-critical. Right. I've actually seen them misrepaired before. Oh, yeah. You know, they get hit in the, in the front on from the side, and the... The body shop would grab the front horns, like you were saying, pull them back over so the hood and the bumper and everything fit. But if you looked at the tires, 
one was hanging out of the fender further than the other side. That's right. And, and what they neglected to do was get the suspension cross member, which had also been driven over, to come back into the correct place. Well, again, much stronger component. And if you tie down at the center box and you grab the front horn, that horn's going to bend a whole lot faster than that the, cross member's going to come over. Sure. What you really need to do is catch the cross member and the horn at the same time and then vary your pressure between to get all of them to move back to a pre-accident condition. Make a number of pulls. Right. Multiple simultaneous pulls. And, again, what happens very often, you had – it was all one straight line. Now it's swayed over in the front. Well, if you pull just the horns back, now you've got like a little S-bend in it. Mm-hmm. There's the cross member still over. The horns are in the right place. The main body's in the right place. So the hood fits fine. Everything lines up, except if you look behind, it looks like the car's dog tracking down the road. Sure, because the four wheels don't line up one with another. Right. And in that, in case with a rack and pinion that bolts to that cross member, you will also notice to get the steering wheel straight that the threads will be off from side to side. Correct. On the tie rod. But again, that's a symptom of the problem and exactly. not the problem. You don't go change the tie rod. No. <laughs> no you, go looking, you go looking for the reason it's that way. A whole lot further down the road. Let's go back to our phone lines with Jeep. Good morning, Jeep. Got a good question for you. Okay. All right. I have a 2007 Toyota Tacoma mm-hmm. pre-runner. It's got the V6 in it. I got 213,000 miles on this vehicle, mm-hmm. and it's been the best vehicle I've ever owned. I had never done anything to it unless you've done it. Right. Mechanically-wise, it's great. I still have the same radiator, the same water pump, the same everything. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of miles on it, and yes. it has never failed me. I want to know. What needs to be done to a timing chain? I mean, that issue, I know it's got to be costly and very time-consuming. Can you go through some steps that I well, need to even look Jeep, at? Jeep, so long as you have changed the oil on a regular basis and you've used the right oil and the right filter, that timing chain is going to last the life of that engine. You're not oh, ever going to have to change. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, that's a big if. Now, like I said, if you've been running out eight, ten thousand 10,000 miles between all changes and missing one now and then and using an inferior filter, filter, yeah, you may very well need a time of change, but then you probably need a lot of other things as well. So as long as the car has been properly maintained, the timing chain, it's a double roller chain. It's going to pretty much last yeah. the life of that engine. Now, what would concern me a lot more would be like the radiator. You figure on a 07. 2007, that thing's 13 years old. That is going to leave you stranded. That radiator is going to go because it's not a matter of if it's going to fail. It's a matter of when it's going to fail. If you're putting uh-huh. around town and the radiator cracks and it starts to overheat and you stop it and you get to the shop and it's not inconvenient, that's one thing. If you're taking this thing out on the road somewhere, even from here to New Orleans, where being on that 12-mile bridge overheated is going to be a big deal, I'll go ahead and replace the radiator. I don't push a radiator yeah. 13 years because the average life's about 10 years on them. It's made out of plastic well, and you- it's going to crack. Yeah, and I've been watching that closely, and so far, so good. What do you say about the water pump? I mean, I've had no issues in yeah. this vehicle whatsoever. Same thing. It's going to eventually fail, but, you know, it, it depends on how you operate the vehicle, Jeep. If you're taking this to Florida and back, you know, getting out on the road with it, certainly not a bad idea with that many miles to replace the water pump, replace the radiator at the same time, replace the thermostat, just because you got the whole system drained. They're all three right there kind of together. There's some shared labor between them. It would certainly buy you some time, but if you're mostly just putting around town, going to the grocery store and back, to where a breakdown wouldn't be a catastrophic event for you, then you could well, certainly the wait until there's a problem. Right. The replacement for these radiators, they are they metal now, or, no, or is it no. like that, that no. plastic that's it's on the top same, now? It's plastic. the same radiator you're taking out. Yeah, plastic and aluminum with O-rings in it. You right. know, a copper radiator you'll never see again, simply because you could not afford to pay a man to work around lead. 
you know, with EPA yeah. and all being what it is, so you can't salt them together like like the old days. That's why all radiator yeah. shops are gone. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. if you got a man working around lead, it's going to cost you so much money that you just couldn't afford it. The plastic aluminum radiators work fine so long as you understand they are consumable. They have a life. Generally, life's about ten years. Then that plastic gets Correct. brittle, and some of them will go thirteen years, but not many of them make it beyond that. So I'm pushing it then. You are. What you're saying. You are. Yes. I would not be so concerned about the time chain. I would be concerned about the radiator. I would be concerned about the water pump. And again, if I was going to go to that extent, I'd certainly change the thermostat as well. Uh, Okay. Well, look, thank you very much. You've been very helpful. All right, Jeep. Appreciate it, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I've got all our lines wide open. Be glad to chat you up and talk to you there you go and you know that the cooling cert the cooling on that toyota we were just talking to mm-hmm. if the fluid hasn't been serviced in it right. on a regular basis i would start servicing the fluid first before yep. you start taking the components well, out Well, you can get an idea of what the condition of the system is one thing and two it may actually buy you some time or let you know hey i'm close here sure because a professional inspection might reveal things you may not see on your own well and you don't want to drain the coolant out, put fresh coolant in it, and it breaks two days later. Right, because you lose all your coolant. Right, you lose all that fresh coolant. But if the serv- if the system hasn't been serviced correctly, well, you can need then- to get it out anyway. Right, you put got- fresh parts on. Right, that's where I was where I was headed for. Well, just like brake work, you wouldn't go in and hang new calipers and new wheel zones and put dirty fluid, fluid back, back in it, or, right. or even keep the dirty fluid in and run that through the brand new parts. Although shops do that every day, every day. But you should flush all that fluid out before you change the components. Because if you don't, you got all this nasty 10-year-old contaminated fluid. You put all these brand-new parts on there, and then you push that fluid right through them. Right. Which makes so, no sense. But same thing with your cooling system, as you alluded to. If you're going to change all these parts out, you certainly want to go ahead and get that old coolant out of there ahead of time. And get it nice and cleaned up. Right. Right now, the system's not leaking. So now is the time to get it cleaned up and get it stable before you change all the parts well that's right kind of like jack kennedy says it's time to change roofs not when it's raining <laughs> <laughs> we gotta take a quick little break we'll be right back with more on the automotive hour so lie back on the couch ms bo peep and tell me what's got you stressed uh, my sheep keep getting lost i mean they're in the meadow one minute and i look down at a text and then i don't know where to find them and they keep doing it let me level with you doc sheep are not the smartest animals <laughs> Not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. But the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment about the show, give us a call, 291 6901. There you go. <laughs> right get, straight get your, to us. Get you a live answer. There you go. You were talking to Jeep just a second ago, and that kind of brings up a good point. He was asking about the timing chain. Uh-huh. And in my experience, if a timing chain is giving trouble, particularly on like a Toyota motor where they're not 
notorious. Some of your Ford engines had time and chain problems. Some they of, did. Some of your GM engines had time and chain they problems. Did. Toyota engines just do not have that particular problem unless it's been neglected on oil changes, had a cheap filter and all that. And by that point, very little point in putting the time and chain. You better probably Start looking be for a new engine. engine. Yeah, because yeah, everything else in that thing is going to be shot and gummed up and sludged up. So that's not one of those things I would consider a maintenance item to go in and replace. Now, it brings up the point, where do you draw the line? Because it's 13 years old, it's got 200,000 miles, but every component on it has that. Exactly. So where do you draw the line? Where do you say, well, no, because, I mean, you could theoretically say, well, let's change every part of the car. And obviously that's not practical, but the things that do not cost a whole lot to change now relative to the amount they're going to cost when they're failing later certainly are items that are you want to change on a preemptive basis things that would break the car down or the car is not going to move anymore if Mm -hmm. this happens and you're on the road with the car a lot that would be certainly an option things that are in the same vicinity as other things you're already replacing would be a good candidate sure but something like the window motor I would not preemptively replace a window motor because mm-hmm. if it breaks, it's going to be an annoyance right? for the most part. I mean, you're not going to be able to roll the window down until you can get it fixed, but it's or, not going to break down on the road. Right. It's not going to leave you stranded. Not going to leave you stranded. It's not any cheaper to do it now than it would be to do it later. Even things like an alternator, generally an alternator is not going to just catastrophically yeah. fail with no warning. It's either going to start, the battery will start going dead or it'll start whining, making noise. Mm-hmm. Very seldom does it ever stop the vehicle yeah, from moving. Very seldom is a catastrophic failure with zero warning, if ever. Mm-hmm. And normally they're right there on top of the motor. They're mm-hmm. easy to get to. Normally, but in some cases they are buried underneath the back. Well, and in those cases, if I were doing other work in the vicinity, I had high mileage on it, I would maybe consider sure. that. Sure, the labor's already there to get to get there. So It's sort of like a starter that's under the intake manifold. Like the Toyota? Yeah. Uh, if I had to remove the intake manifold anyway, sure. the vehicle is 15, 16 years old and has 300,000 miles. Oh, well, I'm going to suggest a starter. Sure. But I wouldn't just go pull it all apart and change the starter because it might fail. Mm-hmm. You know, again, starters can leave you stranded, but it's sort of rare. Generally, you start to get, it'll start clicking or it'll start turning slow. It'll start giving you some. Well, and it's going to leave you at a certain place. You right. know, it's not going to leave you on the side of the road. Right. The vehicle's running. There's no reason to start it while you're driving down the road. Correct. You get to where you're going. You turn it off. You're you're you at a established place. You go to start it. It doesn't start. Then you can make arrangements from there. But mm-hmm. it's not going to leave you stranded on the side of the road somewhere. Well, things like the radiator sure. and the water pump, particularly in Jeep's instance, where it's probably a four-liter engine in there, those little engines don't like being overheated. No, they don't. They will blow a head gasket pretty Pretty quick, quick. If, if it overheats and so a few hundred dollars could change the radiator the water pump and thermostat if you blow the head gaskets you're gonna be into a few thousand dollars or, or an engine yeah or, or a complete engine depending on how bad, how bad it, it got hot and so in my way of thinking of things that is a help makes a whole lot more sense to go ahead and change that preemptively sure well you know it's gonna fail it's I mean, gonna it's fail a plastic anyway. radiator it's gonna fail at one point in the near future with that many years on it and that many miles on it. Right. And they were designed to go the life of the car, which was about 10 years, 100,000 miles. Yeah, probably less than 10 years because most people put twelve to 15,000 per year. But they're designed to go about maybe eight years or 100,000 miles, and they will do that. Mm-hmm. But when you start getting up to 13 years and 200,000 miles, they were never designed no. to do that. And so 
we consider that, particularly in the Deep South, people tend to keep cars a long, long time because, number sure. one, you don't have the rust issues that you have in the north with salted roads and all that. The body of the car may look like brand new. You know, I've got a Chevy pickup, 02 model. So you figure it's 18 years old. The body looks great. Other right. than one or two little dents I put in it, there's no rust anywhere on that car. Not at all. And I would keep it, I would probably keep it another 18 years. You're born something catastrophic happening to well, it. Well, like, like you were saying, i got a no six Silverado. Right. I'm not planning on replacing well, it. That's still your new truck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not planning on replacing it. Right. So when you get far beyond the design perimeters, that's when you have to start looking at changing things preemptively. Sure. They were designed to go to life of a car, but again, life of a car in the eyes of the engineer who designed it is 100,000 miles. Sure. That's the life of a car. And there are probably people up in new england thinking man people drive cars past a hundred thousand miles <laughs> because again the road salts are going to probably eat the car away physically before you even get a hundred thousand miles so it's not really a thing but people in the south people in the west particularly like if you live out in arizona right. or somewhere where it's very dry the car body is going to probably last a long time yeah almost forever and we even have it a little better in the south than they would in the west because we don't have as intense ultraviolet light so they get cracked dashes and the interior sure, starts falling sure. apart because unless the car is kept in a garage, we don't have that problem either. Well, and, and look at most of the, the vehicles that you can find in, in the West, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. You can find 50s, 60 models of vehicles oh, yeah. still out there. The bodies are still in great shape. Well, they didn't have any plastic on them to speak of. They yeah. were just about all metal. And so that car, yeah, they, that's, there's a reason why they store those little aircraft out in the, exactly. the desert. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're removing a whole lot of the factors that can damage the vehicle yep but that's the whole premise behind preemptively changing parts is stuff that will prevent a breakdown or save a lot of money by changing them earlier and the only other instance i can think of is where you're doing a major repair in the area they may be things that will fail eventually that are very inexpensive to do now you know we changed valve covers on a vehicle the other day uh-huh. the uh, nissan vehicle had to take the intake manifold off to fix a vacuum leak so while we're here, let's go ahead and change valve covers. Well, also while we're here, why wouldn't we change the spark plugs? Right. You have to take the coils out to get the valve covers on. Right. No it's extra just, labor to do it. We're right there. And it's wide open now. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had to come back and do it, you may have to take the intake back off to get the spark plugs. Right. And now if the plugs that were in there had 20,000 miles on them, I would probably risk no. it. I would not change them. But these, I think the vehicle had 170,000 miles, I think it was. Something like that. They've been changed at 100. So these had 70,000. So they're seven-tenths of the way through their life cycle. I'm right there. No extra labor. Plugs don't cost that much. So we went ahead and changed the plugs as sure. well. Just You have to kind of balance it all out, cost versus risk Mm -hmm. which is kind of the way it is with everything you know we were talking just before the break and the other phone call about frame damage right frame and suspension damage and there's a number of different factors that come in for instance you have wheel alignment that you bring to a tire store or alignment shop and they check that is called static alignment and static alignment is what you're reading with the car sitting still on that rack However, in reality, in the real world, we have what we call dynamic alignment. Mm -hmm. Dynamic alignment is what happens when the car moves up and down and turns side to side, sways, and all the other forces act on it because that affects the alignment as well. It does. One of the big things that we get called in a lot because nobody can figure out what's going on is maybe you run into a ditch or maybe even a big pothole, and now you're driving down the road and holding the steering, everything's great. You hit a bump. And the steering wheel turns on you, and the car jumps, jumps over the other lane. 
Correct. And that's what we call bump steer. Right. And what happens in that instance is now the steering linkage is not level anymore. So when the vehicle goes into a jounce, instead of the tires towing in together or out together as they're designed, one toes in, one toes out because the level, the suspension level is not level anymore. And it feels just like you turned the steering wheel, except you didn't turn the steering right. wheel. Right. And as the, as the vehicle jounces, because the angle is not level, right. you have one that doesn't. One toes in, one toes, toes out, out, or maybe one stays straight ahead and the other one turns in. Either way, the vehicle's going to jump into the other lane. And that's what you call dynamic alignment. That is not going to show up on an alignment machine unless you pull the car down and then raise the car up with the heads on there, reading the toe at a time. It's right. a toe change. You can watch it. You can actually watch it on the screen as the toe, as the vehicle changes height up or down. Mm-hmm. You can watch the toe change but irrelevant. You to have it. to know to what you're that. looking for. And you had to know to do that and know what that means when it does do that. A, lo- a lot of times a test drive will, that will show up in a test drive. Well, so often, unfortunately, what happens, you drive it, they feel it, but they don't know. Understand what, yeah. maybe they haven't encountered this before. We've seen it a lot because most of the shops in town or a lot of shops in town who encounter it and can't figure it out send it to us. So right. we see it very often. So right. we're pretty much can drive the car and tell you what's going on. Just have to figure out why. What's even stranger is if it's not the front that's out of line, but the back that's the out rear. of level. The rear because is that actually... is a very peculiar feeling. You know, when you turn a back wheel on a vehicle, it's going to steer the car more than if you turn the front wheel. Right, it's like a forklift. The reason they put the steering on the rear of forklifts because they want to be able to get in and out of real tight spots. When you turn the back wheel, it's going to steer a lot more than if you turn the front wheel. And a bump steer shows up in the rear a whole lot more than it does in the front. Prefer- and you don't have a steering wheel to turn. No. So you don't feel that. You just feel the car kind of unstable when you go over a bump. Right. It kind of jumps to one side or it kind of floats around a little bit and in the back. it doesn't even have to be necessarily what we would call a bump. It could be just like a slight dip in the road where when it goes through, the car is going to jounce because the wheels have dropped down. Mm-hmm. Then when it hits the higher spot on the other side, it's going to rebound. So you go through a jounce rebound, suspension moves. That's when you get this horrible sensation sure and that is generally involved in some type of collision or striking something although i've seen that caused by improper frame repair correct or even trying to pull a car out of a ditch or something where they tie a chain around that cross member and pull on it well it's not designed for that a lot of times the cross member is hidden up underneath bolted up into the body and the suspension links come up to it Mm -hmm. and i've seen chains wrapped around the suspension links and when you pull on it, you bend the links, which changes all the alignment in the rear. I've even seen components installed backwards, backwards. or upside down sure. cause that because the the pivot points have been changed relative to yep. the center line of the suspension. Yep. Point in case, a, um, you remember the Tahoe that came in, the right. center link was on backwards. Put on upside down. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it had the, had the uh, tie rods out of level. Right. And, of course, tie rod can flip around. Right. It doesn't it matter. Either way, it doesn't care. It goes in just the same. It looked okay. Yeah. It, except when you jounce it up and down, the wheels would change. Yep. <laughs> Gotta take our third quick little break. Be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I'd just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but 
for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Still got a few minutes left. If you want to get a call in, we'll glad to try to chat you on up. That's it. And, you know, today we were talking about frame damage, frame repair, but we'll. Yeah, can call questions. anything. Yeah, we will. Absolutely. Framework is one of those things that is normally going to be a special. You're going to have to go to people who have equipment to do this. Correct. It's not like at one time you could almost take a oak tree and, and a come along, along right, and cut and torch and heat something up and pull it around and kind of sort of make it work. Yeah, them days are over. Yeah, way, way, way over because cars today are so precisely engineered precisely engineered and also kind of flimsy in that there's no one spot on that car strong enough to hold because when you pull in on one place the amount of force you're applying to that place is being transferred to the part that's being held correct so what you have to have is multiple simultaneous pulls and you also have to have multiple hold downs, hold downs correct to spread the load over a number of places and your unibody cars like you were mentioning earlier have a rocker panel and what they call a pinch weld. Right. And this is where the three panels come together, the floor, the outside rocker, and the inside floor, mm-hmm. all come together in this pinch weld. It's spot welded together. This point is the strongest point underneath the vehicle. Is In fact, they use this point to pull the vehicles down the assembly line. So when you tie it down to a frame machine, mm-hmm. you, have had to, you should have a dedicated bench with a dedicated tie-down. And that way you can grab at each corner of this pinch weld you can tie that center box down to the frame rail, uh, frame rack, and then you can start making your pulls from there. If you're making multiple pulls, which you should be making, correct? Because, like you were saying earlier, one pull puts a whole lot of pressure in one place, right? And you tend to start damaging other components. I like to take the analogy that the doctors use: cause no harm. That's right. And I like to try to get everything to come back out the way it went in. Well, that's how it occurred. It was when you got in the accident. Force was applied to the vehicle, and everything started to bend from the point of impact on out, and that's what caused the accident. So correcting the damage is reversing that procedure. Right, and it's not just one point. Yeah. The accident happened at a multiple points, so those multiple points need to be brought back out well, together. What happens with an amateur who is not used to doing framework, he will go in and see one thing, and he will attach that, pull that out, then catch the next point, pull that out, catch the next point. But every time he moves one, he moves the other. Correct. So he ends up spending an inordinate amount of time and effort trying to correct something. And maybe causing more problems than was originally there. Well, right. It may have been struck on the front frame rail. But what happened is as that rail started to mash, it started to go back, then where it kicks up over the tire, that started to drop, which caused a sag. The one side was affected, not the other, which caused a twist. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, if it pushed it back far enough, it caused a diamond. And this is the order in which the damage goes in. So if you want to correct that, you have to reverse that. And you're going to start out with the last thing that went in. You're going to tie down for your diamond, 
tie down for your sag, tie down for your mash, and then when one series of pulls, usually at multiple places, you can reverse the process that put the damage in. Bring it right back to where it was originally built. If you can get it like that, you can generally correct it relatively easily and very thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens another time is that a lot of folks will bring a car to us. They're trying to repair it themselves. Right. And the first thing they want to do is they want to do something. So, so they, they go take in a, and start taking parts off. Right. And when the accident occurred, all the parts were on it. Right. So if all the parts are still on the vehicle, as the frame damage comes back out, so do the parts. Right. All those parts are going to line. All the mounting points are going to line. The strength is the same as it was when the damage went in. So you're reversing the process. But if you go in and you take the fenders off and you take the bumper off and you take all this stuff off and bring it to me, you've just made it probably twice as hard, yep. if not impossible, to correct out because now you've weakened the structure. So when I pull, it's not going to all reverse. For instance, let's say it got hit hard enough to where it pushed the A-pillar back slightly, which opened up the cracks in the back of the car. Even the roof moved slightly on the car. Right. Well, if I grab it with everything on there and I reverse that damage, all that is going to come out by itself. That's, I don't even have to think about it. And that's what we call secondary damage. That's secondary that, damage. That damage didn't occur as point of impact, but it occurred because of the impact. Correct. So it's secondary damage. But if you take all that off, then you've weakened that structure, so I'm going to have to go in and try to address each and every one of those points separately. Right. Which is going to, at very, very least, add more time to the job. Add a whole lot more time and probably not going to come out as good as it would have if everything would have been on there. So don't take anything apart until you get the frame checked. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. I want to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service. Find a written review and fill it out for us, please. There you go. It'll move us up in the rankings, make us feel good about what we're doing. You know, if everybody is listening today, we'd tell one other person we could double our listenership. There you go. Which would definitely keep us coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps coming back for more. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.